0: Hey now, and welcome to the Elevate Yourself podcast. I'm Rob, and I am thrilled to get to be the host of this show. I feel super lucky. I work for this awesome company called Elevation Health. And in each episode of this show, I get to have a conversation with folks from all different walks of life about how they elevate themselves. It's my hope that these conversations will make you think, force you to change your best, and as a result, help you get a little bit closer to becoming the best version of you. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for doing this, man.
1: Yeah, Rob, thank you so much for thinking of me and inviting me to do this podcast.
0: So tell folks off the top just a little bit about your background, your training, um, undergrad, where you are
1: now. Yeah, Yeah, so I am originally from Western Illinois from this place called the Quad Cities, which is a misnomer because it's actually five cities. And I am from the fifth quad city, East Moline, Illinois. Um, and born and raised there, uh, actually attended college there as well. So, for undergrad, I went to Augustana College, small liberal arts school, uh, right along the mighty Mississippi River. And there, I got a double major in biology and neuroscience. I originally wanted to go into physical therapy, but then just through my time there, I uh, developed a love for research and specifically the role of drugs on behavior. And so, I also, when I was there, did cross country track, and so I'm an avid runner, and I'm sure that will come up at some point during this interview, and uh, now I'm a graduate student at the University of Kentucky. I'm uh, pursuing my PhD uh, through the cognitive neuroscience program of the psychology department, and I'm in the laboratory of Dr. Jessica Weaver, and it's an alcohol research lab, and we study all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, namely, looking at the, the role of sex hormones on uh, drinking behaviors. And then my kind of area that I'm focused on for like my master's thesis and whatnot is more so the role of sleep on drinking behaviors. Fascinating.
0: So cool. So cool. Um, I, I guess my, my one thing, just to go back on your story, is what made you switch from physical therapy into where you are now? What, what, what kind of drove you to make the pivot?
1: Ah, honestly, I, I did a lot of observations for physical therapy and just through doing that, it came a little bit just redundant for me. It was super fascinating and I loved it and I loved everyone that I observed and I loved the patient interactions. Um, but research to me was just a little bit more exciting, like, cause you get to just tackle all these profound questions. Um, and, and that to me was just, it was just so much more exciting and I think i would have been happy as a physical therapist but I, I think this is like the optimal path for me
0: well our listeners and i am very thankful that you did make a pivot because um, we we want to we want to talk to you um using your 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 knowledge in this other space so you you mentioned a little bit just broadly the research that uh, your lab's doing and what you're interested in could you tell us a little bit more about maybe just what you're able to share about some studies that are going on right now, or kind of things that you're looking at specifically?
1: Yeah. So, right now, uh, I guess I'll talk most broadly about what I'm doing. Um, right now, we're just looking to see whether or not any sex differences exist um, between the relationship between alcohol use and um, sleep. And, you know, there's a long established relationship between insomnia and alcohol use disorder. Um, but women have historically been underrepresented, and a lot of studies look at this association. So not too many people have looked at the role that sex might play on an association. And so that's kind of what we're trying to, to see is, is there a relationship um, between sex and then obviously sleep and alcohol use disorder? And if so, uh, what might be some underlying factors? And so that's kind of the basis of what we're doing. Um, and then also kind of on a more kind of general level, looking to see if, whether or not by, uh, you know, improving one's sleep, whether or not we can thereby improve their drinking outcomes as well, sort of like indirectly. So that's kind of the the base of what we're kind of working with at the moment.
0: That's so fascinating. I'm, uh, as folks on this podcast have heard me talk about before, I'm an avid sleeper in terms of I I really guard my time um, and my sleep is very important to me. I find that, you know, we do the best we can, but when I do get quality sleep, life is better. Um, I'm curious, how all, how are you
1: all, how do you measure sleep for your studies? Yeah. So we haven't done too much in terms of objective sleep measures. Uh, we're currently collaborating with Dr. Lauren Whitehurst, who is also here at the university of Kentucky. And we're, uh, kind of just trying to get some studies up off the ground running in regards to just measuring a person's like physiological and biological kind of levels of sleep, basically what we're doing right now is just doing surveys where basically people report, you know, how much sleep they got the night before, what their sleep quality was, things of that nature. So it's all kind of subjective reports at the moment.
0: Nice. Nice. But that subjective does matter though, doesn't it? It, it still does. It does. I mean, we all
1: feel better. We wake up and we go, that was a good
0: night's sleep um, regardless exactly. of what it was or not uh, technically. Um, exactly. So we're here today to talk about stress. And I, yes. so I guess my, my first thing off the top, just broadly speaking mm-hmm. Um, what, how is stress defined? Um, and then like what, when people think about and then in, in comparison to like how somebody says, I am just so
1: stressed right now, traffic was terrible. Um, yeah. Right. I think, and I think terminology is important and the way I like to look at things is kind of the way that we as a general population view stress and then like biologically what stress actually is. Right. And so I think for the general population, we view stress as being this kind of feeling of being overwhelmed either kind of mentally or physically of maybe, you know, having just a lot on your plate at the moment. Um, But, biologically, what's going on is that there really isn't any sort of distinction between physical or mental stress. Um, To your body, you know, the stress involved with running a marathon, for example, is gonna be the same as the stress involved with having, you know, uh, an over kind of load of of things to do, of tasks at work. Um, And what it all comes back down to is, this thing called the autonomic nervous system, uh, specifically the sympathetic nervous system, which by the way, has nothing to do with sympathy. So don't don't think it has anything to do with emotions, although it can certainly impact emotions. Um, More so what the sympathetic nervous system does is it releases this neurotransmitter called norepinephrine, uh, or more people probably refer to it as adrenaline. And what that does is it does a variety of things. It increases your heart rate. Um, It can increase kind of your selective attention, which we can get into later about maybe some of the positives of stress Um, and things of that nature. It's otherwise known as this kind of flight or fight response. That's what this uh, sympathetic nervous system is most notably kind of associated with. Um, And so that's sort of, basics of what you can do. And this system gets activated regardless of, again, if it's physical stress or mental stress, it's relatively all the same.
0: That is uh, such a uh, well said. I, I personally, I knew some of that, but the, 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 the specificity was so interesting. And I think it's important for people to think about the, the physical and the mental can be the same um, and have that same yes. impact on your body. Um, Mm -hmm. you briefly touched on the fight or flight. So how could stress be good for someone? Uh, A lot of times we think stress is just a bad thing. You don't want stress, but stress can actually be
1: good, right? How, how, how can stress be
0: good for a person?
1: Correct. So it can be good on several different levels. And when I say good, the main determinant of whether or not it's good or bad is more so the length of time in which you are feeling this kind of stressful state. So acute stress, short-term stress can actually be good in terms of things like productivity. Um, it can be good in terms of uh, in terms of attention. It's not really go so good at looking at like big picture type of tasks and things of that nature, but in terms of like very kind of narrowed task oriented um, things of that nature, it can be very, very good for that. It can also be very good for the immune system, so you get a nice kind of immune system boost uh, due to acute short-term stress. And so, um, and then if you look at something like medium-term stress, too, um, you can actually, over time, through things like exercise, exposure to, um, you know, cold waters, taking like cold baths or cold immersion therapy, things of that nature, you can, in many ways, increase your stress threshold, which um, if you're someone who gets stressed out really easily by doing that over the course of time, you can increase your stress threshold and thereby, you know, hopefully the idea is that you don't feel as overwhelmed as easily anymore. And you can kind of continue to, to raise that over time just by simply training your body to relax during, you know, intense physical, uh, stress. Um, so yeah,
0: that's well, really thanks for breaking that down for us. And what yeah. I, I think there's, there's two things um, that it really hit there was, um, the acute, like, so you've got a deadline that you're trying to hit at work, right. Like great opportunity to like, kind of lean into that stress and to just crank it out. Um, and then I appreciated Mm -hmm. what you meant. We're going to talk about in a second, but what you mentioned about exercise, I said this to to clients and other people before, and they go, Oh my, my heart is pounding. It's, it's going really fast. And you know, obviously if you've got a heart condition, it's a different story, but like that little Mm -hmm. bout of exercise for 30 seconds and you get your heart rate up, Totally cool, because you're yes. not going to spend the whole day up there, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a good little, that's thats exactly what you're talking about.
1: Exactly. 100% correct. All
0: right. So that's that's the good, that's the positive, the stress.
1: Now, <laughs> now, how
0: can, now, so how does stress get kind of bad, start venturing in
1: after we get past the acute and the medium, where does it go bad? Right so long term stress is not something that you want to deal with. And what we mean by long term stress too is that you know, like short term stress can be a matter of hours, you know, or maybe even days. Medium term stress, you know, that's not necessarily bad on its own either and that can last for weeks to months. We all are very well aware of, you know, maybe certain, you know, semesters or terms you're a little bit more uh, busy than others and that's fine too, that's normal but chronic stress that lasts for, you know, most of the year or several years, that cumulatively is not gonna be good for you. It's gonna, you know, increase, um, you know, your chance of getting sick. So that that chronic stress suppresses your immune system. And so that's why a lot of times when people are highly stressed for so long periods of time and then they take a vacation, they tend to be sick, like right as the vacation starts. Also, it can exacerbate symptoms for people with Alzheimer's disease. If you're predisposed to schizophrenia, stressful uh, events can help, you know, induce your first psychotic episode or, you know, um, more psychotic episodes after you've kind of been diagnosed with schizophrenia. So it can really be a bad thing. And I know it skips ahead to the ugly side of stress as well, but yeah, it can be really ugly too. And it can have very detrimental effects to your health. And not to tie this to my research, but to tie it back to my research too, uh, stress also like increases your probability of, you know, having problematic alcohol uh, behaviors. It, you know, increases your risk for insomnia. It can disrupt your sleep, Um, you know, and sleep is one of the foundations of one's health. Um, And it can also impact diet too. I mean, if you're highly stressed out, you know, perhaps you're gonna be more likely to, you know, choose maybe a more unhealthy snack or unhealthy meal compared to, you know, some some vegetables or something of that sort. So it 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 really can impact uh, your health and then also your choice of behaviors uh, that which can further impact your health.
0: Right, 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 right. And I appreciate what you said about diet. We've kind of looked at that a little bit in our research in our lab and others have shown this. And I, I think the great example is like college students, right? And look at like diet quality and like when they measure diet quality during periods of higher stress, uh, food choices are poorer than when they don't and I can speak to that first hand right you're in the middle of a high stress situation yes I would like that my my uh, inhibitory control to make the right decision is there's just less
1: of it right hundred percent yes and I'm glad you brought up inhibitory control because that's also another thing a lab uh, tests although we don't really test it in the context of like stress yet that is um, it, it, To get back to like the ugly too, I mean, this has ramifications on our society as well. So if you think about um, the way, for example, we treat um, medical residents, you know, these are people who are working very long hours and they're highly stressed and they're getting poor sleep as a result of that. And so they're more likely to make medical errors. You know, and this is something that other countries don't have, but yet we have here because we have this culture of kind of being overworked and being highly stressed. And that's just one example. You know, you can apply the same thing to people working at factories or other kind of high-risk jobs. You can apply this to truck drivers, um, and so you see all these kind of different rates of accidents. And so, due to these high levels of stress and you know possibly poor sleep and other kind of bad behaviors, you have all these trickle-down domino effects which have negative consequences all over our society.
0: Such a good point. It's such a good point. It's such a good point about and all these jobs too. There's these people trying to help somebody else, yet they're unable to help themselves. It's it's sometimes the great irony, especially in the in the the health industry as well, that you the the health of the people that are providing the the help um, is being taken for granted. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. So we now know the problem. How do how do we how do we how do we solve the problem? What are what what could a person do? Um, to try to decrease stress? Is there anything that you've seen in research or that you've worked on, like just easy ways to try to just decrease stress if a person feels they've gotten outside of that acute zone and maybe you're drifting um, towards the chronic stress?
1: Yeah, so one very helpful tool that I cannot claim credit for, um, and I can't go into too much detail because there's just a lot of like underlying physiology behind it, but if you're interested in learning more about this thing called the physiological psi, I encourage people to tune in, of course, after listening to this podcast, your podcast, but to tune into the podcast of Dr. Andrew Huberman. He is a neuroscientist at Stanford. He has his own podcast called the Huberman Lab Podcast, and he does deep dive into the science behind this physiological side. But essentially what the physiological side does is it really takes advantage of uh, breathing. And specifically, what you can do is you can optimize your breathing patterns in such a way to decrease or increase your heart rate and thereby sort of like activate or inactivate the sympathetic nervous system. And so how you do this is if you do two quick inhales followed by a long exhale, what that does is that the long exhale actually will reduce your heart rate. There's a little bit of a delayed effect, so it's about 30- 40 seconds to take place. But if you do those two quick inhales, so and then long exhale, that will reduce your heart rate. And so if you need if you're in a quick bind and you find yourself be very stressed, you have to give this like, I don't know, a presentation for work or you have to go on a podcast or, or whatever the case may be, and you just need to calm your nerves down. That's a very great tool to do it. And the opposite is true, too, such that if you increase your inhale and decrease the amount that you exhale, you can increase your heart rate and thereby somewhat artificially induce a state of stress to, I don't know, increase productivity or whatever. So it's kind of a dual mechanism that's really useful if you want to um, deal with stress in the real time. Now, dealing with stress in the longer term becomes a lot more complicated. And there's a variety of things you can do. Um, social interaction is actually very key. And so having some sort of kind of social support network can help reduce stress. Um, and then this can get kind of circular because stress can you know, make sleep and diet and exercise habits worse, um, but all those things also help reduce stress. Um, and so as someone who runs, Uh, exercise is really key for me and that's kind of what I've relied on because, you know, I haven't always known about things like the physiological side. Um, and so I tend to focus just on running. That's my time to decompress throughout the day. And I just zone out most times when I'm running, I don't even think. And I think that is really useful, especially for, you know, the mental stress that I have. Um, and it's also taught me again, ways to increase my stress threshold too. going through a tough workout and learning to just power through it um, can, can, definitely help with that as well. And another fun tip too, is if you want to increase your stress, thr- stress threshold through something like exercise, if you find yourself to be really struggling during some sort of workout, whether it be some, some run or lift or whatever the case may be, if you can just somehow try and find your mind to be more, um, it's not, is it myopic where it's like more kind of big picture? Yeah. I, I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you can just get your eyesight to be more of that and less of that tunnel vision, but more so thinking, look, taking in all of your surroundings and and whole, that tends to relax your mind. And, you know, it trains your mind to be a little bit more relaxed despite the kind of physical stress you're going through. And so things like that can help, uh, again, increase that stress threshold um, that, you know, possibly translates to, to other aspects of your life too, so that you don't feel stress when you have all this work to get done, you know, or, you know, all these assignments to get done for school, things of that nature.
0: That was so excellent, Justin. I really appreciated what you said about the, the stress tolerance threshold, I believe. And I, it's something I've talked about before, and i was I've been bullish on this to folks and have said that, you know, doing hard things in exercise um, really do, I believe, translate into other aspects of life. Um, you know, you, you do, you push yourself and you, you do, uh, you do a hard workout. You, those types of things. I, I, I don't have any data on this personally, but I I just believe you're just a little nicer the next time you're in the car and the person doesn't turn when the light turns green. Like, you know what I mean? You're a little less likely likely to lay on the horn because you like the little things in life don't hurt as much. I believe when that, when you've done those things. Um, and I, I do believe there's a carryover. That's
1: cool. Exactly. And I'm, I'm glad you bring up that point, too, because what happens when you are very stressed? Like you're going to be more so on edge. You're going to be more likely to honk that horn when some you, someone cuts you off in traffic right. or things like that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a very good point. From me.
0: And thanks for men- mentioning the Huberman podcast. I, um, I, it is a great podcast, folks. You should definitely check it out. Um, and I, I had heard before from him what you said about de-stressing. But the other going the other way is interesting. So maybe middle of the afternoon, we've got work to do, we need to crush something real quick, utilizing the breathing to help kind of activate that fight or flight could be helpful there.
1: Exactly. 100% correct.
0: All right. So we're going to move on to rapid fire here, Justin. Um,
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: uh, Let's you, you mentioned something. I don't know if this is true or not. But what is one thing you do every single day that elevates you?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. I I do lots of things every day. But if there's one thing that I would have to try and say that encourage more people to do, I don't always adhere to this, but I try to as often as possible, is get morning sunlight in. By getting Mm. sunlight in the morning into your eyes, you're going to be far more likely to set your circadian rhythm as well as get a good night's sleep and just again, it makes things very constant. So you're on a constant schedule. Uh, it's good for your eyesight. And also it's good just to get out there and exercise. So technically when I get my morning sunlight in, I tend to do that on like a morning run um, and stuff like that. So I would say, yeah, that, that that's really big. And I think it can help a lot of people improve their sleep if, if they just simply go out in the morning and, and help set that. It can be really hard during the winter, obviously, but especially during the spring and summer and early fall, uh, definitely go out there and do that.
0: That's such a good answer and such a great reminder for me. Cause I don't do that every day. And I, I do, yeah. I really do uh, subscribe to that. Um, uh, best purchase you've made in the last month for less than $20. Best purchase in the last month for less than 20 bucks.
1: Yeah, obviously you can tell that I thought long and hard about all of this stuff. Um, honestly, I would probably say the thing that's probably helped the most isn't even a purchase at all. I think it's just getting into the habit of doing yoga every single night. I think, that, I think that's been very huge for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I haven't po- purchased a yoga mat or anything like that. But um, so, yeah, sorry, I can't give you any purchase. You know, I'm not much of a consumerist guy, but, but I think, I think doing yoga in recent months has been really beneficial for me.
0: That's a purchase in your, your, your long-term self. And I I, I think the the yoga kind of goes back to what you mentioned about the running and running has been the same thing for me. Um, Mm -hmm. that it it does allow me the time to just kind of clear my head. And I think a lot of runners believe that as well. And I'm, I know the yoga does the same thing. It's a very similar deal. Kind of getting yourself out of, out of you and taking it above you and kind of getting out of your own way.
1: 100%, 100%.
0: Um, you can eat one meal for the rest of your life. What are you eating?
1: I know I'm sorry. This isn't the, you know, most health nutty answer, but I got to go with pizza. I got to go with pizza. Pizza is my go-to. Uh, I I don't know. I don't want to live a life without pizza. So pizza is going to be it. Um, I try to cut back. It used to be in high school. I would have pizza like multiple times a week. Now I try to make it like once a month, but yeah, pizza is my, that's definitely kind of my pleasure food.
0: Favorite pizza, or type of pizza. Oh.
1: yeah. The, the... I'm a very uh, like basic vanilla guy, and so cheese pizza all the way. Got to go with cheese pizza.
0: Got to go wrong with the cheese pizza. And, um, I'm a big fan of quotes. Um, everybody that listens to the show knows this. Do you have a favorite quote or anything that you kind of hang on to that's kind of a, a go-to if times are tough or you need to pick me up?
1: Yeah, so two things come to mind. One is famous runner Steve Freefontaine to anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. Um, yeah. I think that's a very good quote. And so I, I try to adhere to that as much as possible, not just in running, but in life in general. And then I hope I don't butcher this, uh, this quote. And so to all of my college teammates and specifically my former coach, Paul Olson uh, at Augustana College, sorry if I, if I get this quote kind of wrong, um, but the life, the wealth of life is boundless yes. is what he always used to say. Um, and at the end of the day, what that kind of means and what that translates into is that there's just so much in life to be kind of thankful for. Um, you can't put a number on it. You really can't. And so you have to just really optimize life as much as possible. Um, another saying of his was that, you know, the journey is the goal. And he used that more so in terms of like cross country and track and just, you know, towards the season, just the experience of everything. But you can apply that to life as well, because again, Life is just so bountiful and, and you can't put a number on it. Enjoy while you're here. Enjoy the journey. Um, and then, you know, if you, if you do that, then then the destination doesn't even matter.
0: Oh, my goodness. I love that quote and I love the pre fontaine one. I love that. Man, it sounds like a great coach. Uh, final <laughs> question. Um, go-to workout song or run song, anything you're listening to right now that really kind of helps get you going?
1: Yeah, so I tend not to listen to music while I run, although I must say that when I do run, songs get stuck in my head. All right, and even though I'm usually a fan of rap, I am a sucker for Ariana Grande, and <laughs> R- R- Rain On Me by Lady Gaga just absolutely slaps, and that, that, that does not fail to get me pumped. All right, that's full send.
0: I may have to, I may, I may have to fire that up before the next round. I love that. I love that. Yeah, Justin, where yeah. can folks follow you or your lab? Is there anywhere folks can learn more about you?
1: Yeah, so if they are interested in hearing more and uh, about my research and about science in general, they can feel free to follow me on Twitter at Nerd Talk. That's spelled N-E-U-R-D-T-A-L-K Nerd Talk. And then I haven't really created a professional Instagram yet. Um, Although, who knows, maybe I will. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's VZ underscore 13. That's V E E Z Y underscore 13.
0: Awesome. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Justin, thanks so much for doing this, man. Really great talking to you.
1: Yeah, great talking to you as well, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: As I mentioned, I work for Elevation Health, and we've been in business for 27 years, creating customizable solutions for your fitness and wellness needs. That's right, folks, 27 years. And in our 27 years, we've seen it all. So whatever your needs might be, we got you covered. From fitness management and online training to on-site classes and integrated technology, we help small and large groups alike get healthy and stay engaged. I encourage you to learn more about us at contactelevation.com and to follow us on social media at elevation.health.